Thanks for uh, thanks for coming, uh, for being here. If you are uh, if you're new, again welcome. If you're uh, kind of new, uh, welcome. Good to see you. Uh, we're an intergenerational worshiping congregation here. Um, we start with uh, the youngest ones are about 12, born in the year 2000. Can you believe that? 11 years old, born in the year 2000. Y2K children, uh, and then we go up. There's no upper limit to how old you must be in order to worship with us. But thank you for coming and for being here with us. Um, well, I'm, uh, I, I, don't, uh, I, don't, I don't say this often, but I'm, I'm DL, for those of you who don't know me. It is very good, uh, it's very good for us to be here. I uh, want to tell you a little something about myself that you may not know. Those who know me well know this about me, but those who don't uh, may not. But um, if you ever want to take me out to eat, which is a cool thing, and I would always gladly accept your invitation, I take a very long time to eat. So... If you were to ask me during your one-hour lunch break, hey, let's go somewhere 15 minutes away from work, then uh, in that 30 minutes of time that we have to eat, uh, I may make you late for work because I like to take my time when I eat. And so this can be troubling for some people. Uh, for me, it can be troubling if uh, the person doesn't know that I take a long time to eat. And so if I eat with a group of people, sometimes my favorite, one of my favorite things to eat is pork bellies. In, in Korean, it's called samgyeopsal. Uh, really good. I enjoy it. It's like Korean bacon. It just really goes down into my system very well, and, and I love it. Uh, and I enjoy uh, savoring this meal and, and just taking my time and eating it. And I, I joke around that I've got a separate stomach for, uh, for just particularly for pork belly. So I could eat a normal person's amount, and then I've got another belly here that for pork belly. Very cool. Anyways, um, so th- that's kind of the way I roll. And so Sometimes uh, there are some people that know that I love to eat pork bellies, and so they invite me over, and they invite some of us over, and we eat together. And those who have invited me more than one time know that I take a long time, so they just kind of let me sit for about six, seven hours, and then, you know, next meal comes, and I eat. But sometimes people invite me for the first time, and I'll come, and I'll be eating these pork bellies, and they don't know that I take a really long time to eat this and to savor it and to enjoy it. And so while everyone else is finished and I've still got a little bit left on my plate and, and I'm kind of like anal in the sense that I need to have like a perfect thing of rice and a perfect thing kimchi and a perfect uh, pork belly uh, to make this like perfect combination. I can't, I can't finish eating until all of these things are perfect and there's nothing left on my plate. So I'm just kind of sitting here waiting. And, and so a- after everyone else has finished eating, I'm still about maybe like round two out of three rounds. And I'm still in round two, but everyone else has, has finished eating. And they'll start taking their plates away, and they'll try and take my plate away. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not done yet. And, and the next thing that comes out of my mouth is I'm just getting started. I think I understand. I think I understand when people try and take my plate away. That's normal. It's human nature because when something looks like it's done, it typically means that it's done and you take your plate away. But I think a lot of times when it comes to our relationship with God, a lot of times we get to these moments where we feel like, you know what? God's done with this certain thing. Let's move on. When God says, hold up, wait a minute. I'm not done yet. In fact, I'm just getting started. But I'm just getting started. I think this happens a lot after these like great moments or these great weekends or great, you have a revival or we have a retreat or things like that. And, and people are like, okay, that's done. It's time to get back to life as normal. But I think God wants us just to kind of savor a little bit, to wait a little bit because he's saying, hold up, I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet blessing you. <laughs> I'm not done yet. I'm, in fact, I'm just getting started. And I think today... I I really want to kind of press into this a little bit because I want us to understand 
that what God has done in our hearts this past weekend and what God has done in the past month in, in, in the time we've been meeting and the time that we've been processing through not only our revival and our retreat, but through uh, Tico's life and, and all of the things that have transpired as a result, that God is saying, look, I'm not done yet. I'm not ready to move on from this place yet. In fact, I'm just getting started. I'm just getting started. And if you would see this, then you would not miss out on so much that I would like to give to you and to show you because greater things are coming if you would press in for a little bit. So I want to turn our attention to Ephesians chapter 3. We began last weekend, as Pastor Dave shared on Friday night, uh, with a prayer from Ephesians chapter 3 that we would understand and know the love of God, to know the unknowable, to believe the unbelievable, to perceive the imperceivable, that we are the beloved children of God by no other reason but by the finished work of Christ Jesus alone. And he, that came out of Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through, through 17 through 19. I, I want to pick up with verses 20 and 21 and come on the backside of this and say, I think this is where we need to camp out for just a little bit in order to see that God is not done yet and that there's greater things that are yet to come. This is Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. This is God's word. It says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. According to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. We're going to be pretty simple today. I just want to pull out three things here that I think are important for us to get on the flip side of all that's been happening here. The first thing, the first thing that we see here, starting in verse 20, is God's got more. God has, I don't know what it says. In, let me grab my thing real quick. Um, God can do more. Uh, and then that, that, that blank is a whole lot more. Okay, God can do more. A whole lot more. It says in in verse 20, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. He is able to do immeasurably more. I'm going to kind of unpack this a little bit in a second. But I think this is important for us to know. Because some of y'all were like, I was expecting so much from last weekend. And so much happened last weekend that was great. But that weekend is gone. Sam Ock is not leading me in praise anymore. Pastor Dave is not spitting in my face to, uh, every day of my life. And I'm not hearing this message. So it, all this is done. What happens now? And a lot of us need to be reminded, for those who experience God in that way, that God's not done yet. He's got more. He's got a whole lot more that he wants to do. This is important not only for those who are like that, but for those who felt like I was expecting so much last weekend. And what happened last weekend fell way short of my expectations. And now where is my hope? Now where do I put my hope? And the message of God for us this morning is that God can do more. He can do a whole lot more than that. We think it's done. He's saying, hold up, I'm just getting started here. Don't take away my plate. I'm just getting started here. I think this is important to understand for those who felt like, yeah, I met God in that place and he touched my heart. He spoke to me. But the reality is that, DL, I came into this weekend with a whole bunch of issues. 
that my family was jacked up. My sister is going wayward. My brother is falling far and far and far away from God. My, my parents are still not believers. I've still got this, this issue in my life. I still can't conquer this sin. Five years I've been wrestling with this sin. I came to this, to, to this revival meeting and I thought that it'd be done, but I fell right back into that this week. What, where's my hope now? God says he's not done yet. In fact, there's more that he wants to do, a whole lot more that he wants to do. I think we need to hear this for those of us who, who felt like I wanted so badly to be there, but my parents wouldn't let me go. Or I couldn't get a ride. Or it was Labor Day weekend and, and I, somehow I got sick. I think we need to know that God has more, a whole lot more that he wants to do. A whole lot more that he wants to do in our lives. We deeply, desperately need to know this, church. That God is not done with us. Just because a weekend, has God ever been limited to just one weekend? He's so not done with us. He's so not done. And he just says, I am able to do immeasurably more than what I did there. I don't know if I've shared this with y'all or not, but year 2001, uh, right be- it was a little bit before I moved down here. Uh, two of my buddies and I were driving in our car on the way to a wedding rehearsal. We were going to a wedding. Uh, my friend was driving. I was sitting shotgun, and one of my other dudes was in the back seat. We're on this little uh, kind of a uh, two-lane road, one way each way, and then uh, there, I guess it turned into three because there's a left-turn lane at a stoplight. We were stopped, uh, ready to turn into the church, uh, make a left turn, and there was a car that was in our lane that wasn't, wasn't, wasn't trying to turn. And so they're going. It's probably about 30 miles an hour, uh, Falls Church, Virginia, around about 30 miles an hour, and they're trying to get out into the right lane so they keep going straight through the light. Um, but they were kind of looking back. I guess I, I'm assuming they were looking back and looking forward, looking back, looking forward out their rearview mirror or looking out their side. And they didn't see that we had stopped completely. And about 25, 30 miles an hour, they came and they hit us. They rear-ended us. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't too, too bad. The windshield, back windshield was completely shattered and all the, 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 the uh, glass flew everywhere. Uh, we were uh, not too badly hurt, a little bit of whiplash and things like that. But uh, after that event where the back of, of the car was crushed, I've, I said I'm never... Ever, because we do this in college a lot, don't we? We say, oh, we've got eight people. We've only got a little tiny car. Let's just throw two of the littlest people in the trunk, right? Uh, after that after that accident, I was like, I'm never putting anybody in the trunk. Because, I mean, if they get rear, we get rear-ended with somebody in the trunk, it's over. So uh, we, this accident happens. My friend was sitting in the back, and he got kind of a little bit messed up. And so um, my friend's car was, he was the owner of the car. He had insurance. So he's talking with the other person's insurance, because obviously it was a rear-ended uh, rear, rear end accident. It was their fault. And so we're talking with insurance and insurance is talking. So the whole time my friend Chris is like, hey, I'll, I'll tell you what's going on. And he's keeping us updated. He said, okay, they said they're going to cover all of our damages. They're going to cover everything. Just uh, whatever physical therapy you need to do, you, you need to do that. And then we'll settle when it's our time. So he said, okay, that's cool. And this was important for me because the money that I would get from the settlement, I would end up bringing down here to Orlando because uh, I was going to be a seminary student. You know, seminary students don't have any money. So I was like, yeah, this is, this is cool. Um, bad that I got into an accident, but cool that I'll be getting a check out of it. So uh, three of us, my friend Chris, he was, he was kind of like the first one to go, and we we're all getting physical therapy and getting like, our, our stuff adjusted and, and things like that. And so the first guy, Chris, said, okay, I'm ready to settle. I think I feel good. I feel good. My body feels fine. I'm going to uh, call the lawyer. And so he called them, and he said, I spent about $2,000. I'm asking for damages of $2,500. Would you give that to me? And she said she would. And so he called us, and he's like, dude, I spent $2,000. I asked for $2,500. Jackpot. Said, All right, this is good. Good. So my friend Sam, right, Sam's a little bit thug-like, a little bit ghetto. He's like, I'm, man, you got 
and his 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 aim in life is to one up everything that this guy Chris does. So uh, he's going to spend all his money, gets his physical therapy, and gets all that stuff done. He spends about twenty five hundred dollars. He says, "I'm going to ask for thirty five hundred dollars and get a thousand dollars on top of that." And so he calls and he he got it. So he's telling Chris, and Chris is like, "Oh man!" And he's like bragging and boasting to him. And and so I thought in my mind, okay, Chris spends two thousand, gets twenty five hundred. Sam spends twenty five hundred, gets thirty five hundred. I'm going to wait this out because, like I said, this is the money I'm taking down to Orlando to start my new life. And so here I am, I'm doing all this stuff, and I finally get to a point where it's almost time for me to leave. It's almost time for me to leave Virginia. I do my calculations, lost wages, all the money that I spent, uh, all the, the, the gas mileage and stuff like that. came out to about $3,200, okay, $3,200 that I spent. And I called the lawyer, and I'm, I'm so nervous. I'm so nervous because I, I'm terrible at talking on the phone. And so I picked up the phone, I called them, and I asked my friends, hey, what are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to say to them? Can you just tell me exactly what to say? They said, yeah, just say your name and that you're ready to settle. So I called them, I was like, hey, um, I didn't say hey, I said, uh, hello. Uh, 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 my name is uh, David Kim, and um, Chris Kim's insurance person told me to call you. I said, um, I'm ready to settle. And she's like, okay, um, I've got your paperwork. I see that you spent $3,200. How much would you, how much are you asking for? And I was so nervous. And at that moment, I was about to back down. I was about to say, can you just give me $3,200? But I said, can you, can you give me $5,000? And she kind of like rustled some papers and she's like, uh, yeah, I think I can do that. My first thought was, oh, stinky. What if I had a, why didn't I ask for $10,000? <laughs> At least, I mean, think about this, right? The worst she could have said is no. And then I could drop down to 7,000. And if she said no to that, then I could drop down to 5000 which is what I've been asking anyways. And then if she didn't do that, I could say, well, my friend got $1,000 on top of what. Why, 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 di- why didn't I do that? It made it worse because I, my brother had a friend who was an insurance adjuster, and he, he deals with things like this. And he said, we have so much money that we want to give away for accidents that we're just waiting and wishing that people would ask for more. I'm like, are you kidding me? She said on the phone, I can do that. And I was like, I mean, in one hand, yeah, obviously I was elated that I'm pocketing $1,800, but I wish I could, have had, I could have had more. And when we bring our stuff before God, we say, God, I'm wondering. I'm wondering, I've got this, I've got this brother who used to walk with you, Jesus, but now he's kind of wandering down the beaten path. I don't know, but do you think maybe... Maybe you think you could bring him back to you. And God, without second thought, says, I can do that. Yeah, I can do that. Are you kidding me? Why didn't you ask? Why do we stress out so much and do all of these things and beat ourselves up? And why don't we ask? God says, I can do more. I can do a whole lot more. I'm not done. I'm not done with you. I'm not done with your church. I'm not done with your friends. Ask. I can do more. This is what he's saying. I mean, this is crazy. It's like, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. It's crazy how if you understand the Greek, which most of you, actually maybe like a handful of us understand the Greek. But here's what he's doing. He's trying to, the way that I pictured it, and I, I, I was going to do this, but I didn't because there's one gal in our congregation who says she hates balloons. So I was going to take a balloon, and she's not here today. I don't see her, so I should have done it. I should have brought it in. But I think to those who feel like our faith in our heart is like a, is, has just gone flat, it's like a balloon that's just complete, just laying there, 
To those who feel like our faith is like that, here's what Paul is doing. He's lifting up the balloon of your heart and my heart, of our faith, and he's, he's saying, okay, okay, you think God can't do it. Let me blow a little bit of air into it. And he blows it up, and our, and, 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 and our balloon begins to expand. Faith begins to expand. He says, he can do, he can do it. Yeah, God can do it. And then he blows into it a little bit more, and he says, he can do what, he can do what you ask. And he blows a little bit more into it. And he says, he could do whatever you ask or even think. He can do that. And he's blowing air into the hearts of the Ephesian believers. Saying, your faith which was dead, I'm beginning to breathe into that. God can do everything that you ask, everything that you think of. And then he's blowing even more. And he says, God can do more than you ask, more than you think, more than you can imagine. And he's progressively getting this bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. He says, you know what? Not only can he do what you ask or imagine, not only can he do more than you ask him, he says he can do immeasurably more. He can do infinitely more. And then he strings the, it's so big that he creates his own Greek word. He's throwing all of these things together. And he says, exceedingly, abundantly, more than everything that you could even ask or imagine. And he's bursting our hearts in faith to say, heck yeah, he can do it. Come on. Are you kidding me? A person dead to bring them to life? That's no problem. He says, that's no problem. A lost coworker? No problem. Yeah, I can do that. I can do a whole lot more. You just want one. Why don't you ask for the whole family? Why don't you ask for the whole? Why don't you ask for more? I can do it. I can do it. God's saying, look, I'm not done. I've got, more. I've got a whole lot more where that came from. A whole lot more. And then he goes on to the second thing. He says, look. Not only can he do more, he says, according to his power that is at work within us. He's saying the second thing he's saying is we will see God's power when we allow him to work in our hearts. We will see more of God as we allow his power to work in us. What kind of power is it? He says in Ephesians chapter 1, he says it's the same power. You get this. It's the same power that raised Christ from the dead. We sing about, oh, happy day, happy day. You wash my sins away forever. I am changed because Jesus raised from the dead. Say that, this is crazy to think that within you and me, within little like four foot 11 joy, Yoon, there is an inconquerable power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead living within her. That within each and every single one of us mere mortals, there is a, power that is supernatural within each of us. And he's saying that power, look, believers, that power is at work in your life. It's crazy. We're seeing at our uh, tongue tied. This is crazy stuff. It it boggles my mind that this power is alive and at work within you and me. At our adult retreat, the last worship service we had, we kind of kicked it Old school. And it was like one of the most amazing worship times I've been part of in recent memory. It's so good. It's thinking back to first love and thinking back to the times when God captured my heart and, and just wishing and longing and wanting for more of Christ in me. We sang this one song that I like because the first part comes straight out of Scripture. But the second part in its connection, I don't really understand. But it's cool anyways. It's a motion song. You know this song. Cast your burdens Unto Jesus, because he cares for you. Love this song, right? Love it. And then I don't understand how the chorus connects with that part of casting your burdens. And you, you like climb up and you're lifting Jesus higher. 
um, don't really understand the connection with cast your burdens, and then you stomp Satan lower, don't really understand that connection, but somehow there is. But we do this stuff in higher, higher, lower, lower, stomp Satan lower. Uh, someone said stomp Jesus lower. I think they made a mistake while they're leading that song. But stomp Satan lower, lift Jesus higher. And then the third thing, this is, this is the best part of it. We sing this part that goes super, super. Right? Super, 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 supernatural power. And when we do the motions for it, typically, I'm not going to, that's kind of embarrassing. Typically when we do it, this is what we do. We do like this, right? Muscle man, right? We do things like this and it's just kind of like awkward and you're like, oh yeah, you know, supernatural power. But I'm looking at that and that doesn't look too supernatural to me. I feel like that's sometimes how we think God is. He's just me a little bit stronger. When I was in, when I was in uh, the days of my youth, there was this one time, we would always do the same stuff, and it would be little variations on this, and, oh, you know, okay, you can do this dance, and, oh, yeah, that's cool. But one guy went up there, and anytime someone does something different, you're like, oh, my gosh, that's, like, amazing, right? So this one guy went up there, and he did something completely different, and I thought it was so cool. When he started doing supernatural power, this is what he did. He took off like he was Superman, and he just did, like, shoo. And the first, my, my first thought was, oh, my gosh, that's cool because it's different. But my second thought, like, you know what? That's a whole lot better picture of supernatural power. Superman had a, had a daughter named Supergirl. And so I don't know if it's his daughter, but she was super also. And uh, one of the things that I like to do with, with, with my daughter, Manny, is we like to play Supergirl. And I pick her up, and so she's kind of laid out like this. And I run her around the house, and whoo up and down and and she gets so excited about doing this and we're pretending we're going to run into the wall and then woo, we make a turn away from it and she's like oh this is so cool and and so sometimes when she's uh when she's bored and she's sitting at home she'll come up to me and she'll like bend over and she'll say supergirl and so i'll pick her up and we'll do this supergirl thing and in her mind she understands the reason why she needs dad to do this is because she's doing something when she acts as supergirl something that she couldn't do on her own and that is supernatural power to her When I think about this in my life, when you think about it in your life, he's saying there is a power that is at work in you that is something that cannot be done and explained away by human means. There is a supernatural power that is at work in your life and in my life. There is a power that is forming Christ from the inside out within us. And the question then is, why do we not experience a supernatural power in our lives? One of two reasons. One, God is lying to us. And I don't want to go to that place because I'm pretty sure he's not. The other reason is that we're stifling the power of God at work in our lives. Could it be that the reason we don't see supernatural power at work in our lives, could it be the reason that we don't see supernatural transformation of our character Could it be the reason why we don't see supernatural salvation of souls left and right is because we're not letting him do that? Because when we say we want a revival to come, are we going to allow God to use us as the agent of revival by going to the floor and and being the people of prey? We say we want victory over sin, but do we really want it to the point where we would fight for that? Or do we simply acquiesce when that temptation comes? We say we want to be people of discipline. But when push comes to shove, do we fight for discipline in our lives or do we go with the flow of our sinful nature? There is at work with, I'm not making this up. 
according to his power that is at work within us. Okay, this is a present tense middle voice. It's saying that God's power has always been, is currently, and will always be at work in us. That God has already chosen to work within you. And the question is, will we cooperate and allow him to do that work within us? I know a lot of times we want so much from God. And we want that power of God released and revealed and demonstrated in our lives. But will we be the ones who allow God to do that in and through us? Ever since I've, I've been here, my, several of my deepest prayers has been, God, would you raise up a revival of prayer within our church? God, would you raise a revival of missions within our church? Make us a missional kind of church. Make us a church that is bold and dangerous in proclaiming the gospel. And yet, in moments in time, we see this, but we want things like that. We want things like that, but are we willing to, to pray and go the distance in prayer for it? I remember hearing the story of a guy named Stephen. He was a youth worker. I don't think he was, I'm not sure if he was a youth pastor, but one morning he prayed and he said, God, if you would shake the youth of our nation, then I would give my life today for that. I don't know if we want revival that badly. And I'm not saying that you ought to pray that. But would you dare to pray that? God, if you would shake the youth of our nation, then I would give my life today for that. That night, Stephen was in a car accident. He died. And for three years, his best friend, a guy named John Mark McMillan, said, I, I, God, have you forgotten his life? Have you forgotten the prayer that he made? Because God, he said, if you... If you would shake the youth of our nation, then I would give my life this very, this very day. And God, you took it. If you took the first part, then would you not honor the second part of his prayer? And he was wrestling because he's like, everyone's forgotten about him. No, there's nothing that's come out as a result of this. But he said, God, use me, use me, Lord, to be part of the answer to his prayer. You see, the night after the accident happened, he was trying to process through all of these things. And in that moment, he wrote this song. It was a song that pictured the day, that moment, when his friend Stephen would stand before Jesus face to face. And he began writing this song, and, and the song came out, and you know it. It says, oh, how he loves us. How he loves us. He is jealous for me. Loves like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind. And we sing, we sing like, oh, you know, that's a beautiful thing. But we hate hurricanes. We're scared to death of hurricanes. And sometimes, quite frankly, the love of God and the, the pursuing of God can be a scary thing. Bending but never breaking beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. And all of a sudden, I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory. And then I realize how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me. And he stands in that place. He says, oh, how you love us so. Oh, how you love us. And after three years, he hadn't seen that. But beginning from that point on, he said, we're going to begin to sing this song. And it has literally shaken the youth of a nation. And literally, I mean, has that song not been one of the songs that we've clung to in this past few weeks together? Now, one person said, I'm, God, this is, I believe that your power is at work in me and through me. And I'm willing to align myself radically so that your purposes could be accomplished through me. And this is dangerous. When we talk about wanting the power of God to work in our lives, do we really want it? Do we really want the power of God? This is about the cost of discipleship too. 
I think so many times we want the benefits of what God gives to us, but do we really want to radically and boldly position our lives in the center of the will of God so that we could be used by him to do a work that can only be described as supernatural? I don't want my life to be marked at the end of it all by simply saying that I did a me-sized work in my life and that's it. I reckon that God saved us and that he gave his son to die on a cross for you and for me so that we could live with something more than just simply saying, I did it my way. But to say, God, I will surrender to you so that your work and your wonder-working supernatural power could see itself through me so that lives, not just a life, but lives could be changed through the life that I offered up to you. And we will see God's power at work within us when we allow him to work himself out in us. The last thing. For all eternity, God's glory will be seen in Jesus Christ and in the church. Verse 21, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. For all eternity, there will be two places that people of the world look to and see a demonstration of the glory of God. The first is simple. We all agree. Jesus Christ. God, Jesus, the perfect God, man, of course. But the second, the church. I know some of y'all, I've spoken with some of you this week. Are you kidding me? The church, the backbiting hypocritical, judgmental, mask-wearing, stone-casting church, a demonstration of the glory of God. You've got to be kidding me. And I'll be the first to admit that the church is broken. Actually, I'm not the first. Jesus said that in Ephesians chapter 5. You flip another chapter, and he talks about how the church is blemished and wrinkled and stained and blamed, full of blame. And he says the reason he gave his life is that we could be different, without wrinkle, without stain, without blemish, blameless. But the presupposition is, hey, Jesus says, you know what? I died for a church that is broken. And if it surprises you that the church or a church or our church or your church is hypocritical and backbiting and blemished and wrinkled, then it shouldn't. I hate to say it, but it shouldn't. It doesn't surprise me. I wish that it was not the same. I wish it wasn't like that, but it is. That's the reality. But hey, if you're honest with yourself, that's you also, isn't it? If I'm honest with myself, that's me. That's me. I love my church as much as anyone else here does, but I recognize how deep a part of its dysfunctions I am. I understand that. I get it. One preacher said, yeah, the church is supposed to be a light on a hill. And light attracts bugs. So bugs come, yucky stuff come, itchy stuff come, things that we don't like. That's the church. And God says there's no other option. The visible arena of the demonstration of the glory of God is going to be right here. In Winter Garden, it's going to be here. It's us. I think one of the greatest things that we can do is, is to own that. First, to own our brokenness. Yeah, to realize that. I, 
one of the things that Pastor Dave said in, in um, a panel discussion last week is sometimes we just need to confess. I remember hearing, uh, reading Donald Miller, Blue Like Jazz. He talked about how he, I think he attended Reed College, which is the most secular university in America. That place, uh, extremely liberal. But how can I share the gospel with the people who are so antagonistic to Christianity? That the moment I begin to say Christ or Jesus or Christianity or church, they, they, they shut down. He, he set up a booth on campus that said confessional, confession booth. And people walked up to him and they're like, you're always, you Christians are always doing this. They're always telling us that we got something wrong and we need to confess something to you. And here's what Donald Miller said. He said, no, but this confession booth is different. It's not here for you to confess to us. But it's here for me as a Christian to confess to you and to apologize and to ask for forgiveness on behalf of my brothers and sisters for how we have been so judgmental and so awful and so mean to you guys. I'm so sorry that we have tarnished the name of Jesus Christ because of our actions. And he would write and go on to say that so many people that thank you so much for saying that. My view of the church has begun to be redeemed because you don't act like you're better than us. You guys are right. People are right. Some of the worst people are in the church. But on the other hand, I believe with all of my heart that some of the best people are in the church also. No matter what the capacity in our world for human suffering is, the Bible says the capacity of the church of Jesus Christ to bring healing is infinitely greater. And if we could just have the people who've been healed by the church stand up, I think it would, it would blow your mind away. And the testimonies that would come out of people saying that it is because of the church, because of belonging, that I could actually believe. That belonging precedes believing in my generation, and it happened in me because I saw in the church a visible demonstration of the glory of God. And I gave my life to Christ because of the church. You see, no matter how broken the church is, it has never been an option for us to leave it. And it has never been an option for us not to be involved in it. And we're the body. You slice a hand off in the body, that hand is going to wither and it's going to die. No matter how diseased that body is, the hand stays a part of it and says, I will fight and I will fight and I will fight to make it right. You see, Jesus knew that the church was broken. And yet he did not ever give up on the glorious bride of Christ. I know many of us have heard quotes about C.S. Lewis, but I don't think many of us know the story of his relationship with his wife. I think her, her name was either Jill or Joy. But her son writes a story, writes a, wrote a book about the relationship that they had. See, she had bone cancer, inoperable and nothing could be done. And so the doctors sent her home to be with her husband, C.S. Lewis. They called him Jack to send him home 
to be with Jack so that she could spend her last days dying in the comfort of her home with the one that she loved. The problem was she didn't die because her husband would not let her go and he would not let her die and he would not give up on her and would not be content saying, okay, die in pain and agony. This is what he, he, the the biography is just mind boggling. As her son writes this, he says some crazy things happened as soon as she came home. C.S. Lewis began to pray and he said, God, if it would please you, I would so much rather take the pain in her legs as her bones were deteriorating and, and, and withering. One day, the pain in her legs was so unbearable that they had to call the doctors to come and give a shot of medicine. And until the medicine came, he said, God, if it would be allowable to you, please let me take her pain upon myself until this medication comes and begins to work itself out through her. And as he's writing this, he says, in that very moment that he prayed, C.S. Lewis began screaming in pains of agony. And in that very moment, she began breathing sighs of relief as if, I mean, and it did happen, that her pain was somehow supernaturally transmitted into him so that he took her pain upon himself. And he began to feel the pain. And the moment the shot began to, to go in and it began to work itself out, that very moment the pain dissipated from his body. This love that would not let his beloved go, that would not let his bride go. Continually believing that even though she's broken, even though she's sick, even though she's dying, I will not let go and I will work and I will fight until she gets better. In another moment, she began to experience extreme pain in her, in, in her bones. And I forget where exactly this pain was, but he prayed again and he said, God, that you would once again allow me to take her pain upon myself. And as the son writes the biography, he says her bones began to grow back out. This is doctors completely dumbfounded. Her bones began to grow back out. And in that same time, C.S. Lewis was diagnosed with osteoporosis, which is a withering away of the bones because of the lack of calcium in him. Said In that moment, he began to feel excruciating pain in his back while she began to feel a complete sense of strengthening within her legs said until they went, until she went to her death, this was a constant exchanging where he was taking upon himself the punishment. He was taking upon himself the pain of the one who was sick and the one who was dying, taking upon himself because he would not let her go. And he would not stop believing that she was going to be made well. In that we see a beautiful picture of what a bridegroom would do for the sake of the one that he loves so much. And John's gospel tells us that God loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only son into this world, that whoever believes in him will not die forever, but will have life that is eternal beginning the moment we begin to believe. And that power of Christ is at work within you, is at work within me, is at work within our church. And though we recognize our brokenness, though we recognize our frailty, we fight and we fight and we fight because we see in the church what Jesus saw in the church when he offered up his life on the cross for you and for me. You see, today we look at Jesus and we say, sure, a demonstration of the glory of God. But in those days, they didn't see that. 
People looked at Jesus hanging on the cross and they saw the antithesis of the glory of God at the cross. But God said, wait, I'm not done yet. I'm just getting started in my son and in the bride that he loves. And in you and in me. Let's believe it, church. My friends, my church, God is not done with you and he's not done with your family and he's not done with our church. That you would rise up and believe this. That you would believe this to be true. That he's not done with the lost in your life that you're praying for their salvation. He's not done. Would you believe? Would you allow God to blow through the word of God, blow up faith within your heart, that your heart would begin to expand, that you would believe again and that you would, and that we would not at the end ask, I wish I, wish I would have asked for 10,000. Why didn't I ask for more? God, why didn't I ask for more souls to come to know you? God, why didn't I ask more diligently for my, my brother, my sister to come to faith in Christ, to come back to you? Why didn't I ask more diligently? Let's come before the Lord God. What area of your life do you need more of God? What area of your life do you need God to show more, a whole lot more of? Let's by faith begin to pray that. Why don't we stand together? Let's stand together. And, and maybe for some of you, you just want to raise your hand and say, God, I'm open to receiving more of you. I'm open to receiving more of the work of God. I'm aligning my will with yours. Have your way in me. Have your way in me. Have your way in whatever it is that I'm praying for. My Sunday school class, my house church, those members, that people, that family, that couple, whatever it is, my marriage, my, my family situation. Where do we need more of God? My children, my parents, my friends. Let's, uh, let's begin to pray. Let's begin to pray and say, God, we need more of you now. We need more of you. Greater things are yet to come. Let's, let's pray together. We need you to fill our hearts, Lord God. We don't want to stop believing in you, Lord God, what you want to do in the unsaved and amidst, Lord God. We don't want to stop believing in you, Lord God. I pray for Albert's mother, Lord God, to come to faith in you, Lord Jesus. I pray, Lord God, for the ministry of Daniel, Lord God, and David in, in the church of the beloved. I pray, Lord God, that you would be those who struggle and wrestle with, Lord God, the disorders, Lord God, that they struggle with, Lord God, the fears, the insecurities. I pray for those who, who feel enslaved to sin, Lord God, who feel, Lord God, enslaved who feel enslaved, Lord God, to addictions, Lord God, to, 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 to drugs, Lord God, to alcohol, Lord God, to sex, Lord God, to, to whatever it might be, Lord Jesus, that they feel enslaved to. God, I pray that you would break the chains in the name of Jesus. Father, we pray for more of you, Lord God, that there would be more of you in our lives, Lord God, that you would work yourself out, Lord God, in the lives of your people, Lord God. We believe on you, Lord God, for greater things, Lord God, that you would awaken, Lord Jesus, our young people, that you would awaken our older people, Lord God, for greater things of you in our lives, Lord God that you would come and that you would meet with us, Lord God, that you would meet with us, Lord God. And if you would be uh, so brave as just to pray, Lord God, if your power really is at work in me, if it really is at work in me, then God, I want my life, I want my life to be used by you so that glory may be seen in the church and in Christ Jesus through me. I want that to be made known. And for most of us, yeah, it won't end up like it did with that guy, Stephen, that <laughs> we're going to die. But maybe it will mean for us to, when God says go, that we go. When he says talk, that we talk. When he says to pray, that we pray. When he says uh, get involved in this, that we get involved in, in that. If he says wake up early, it means with us waking up early. That we, would, that we would dare to align ourselves with the radical purposes of God. And in so doing, that we would put ourselves in line with the wonder-working power of God.
that is available and that is already working in your life. If you would pray that, let's just pray and say, Lord God, help me. Help me to be used by you. I want to be a changer of lives. I want to be a difference maker in my generation. I want to be one who lives so that you would become known in my world, in my school, in my life, in my family. Let's pray for just a couple moments like that, and then we'll uh, continue to worship through song. Let's pray. Let's pray that God would use us for his purposes. that you would help me to be a man of diligent, Lord God, faith-filled, devoted prayers. God, that you would help my life to be used by you, Lord God, so that your church would be built, that people would be strengthened for the glory of God, and that your name would be exalted in me, Lord God. I pray that you would go deeper in my life, Lord God, of prayer, Lord God, that you would take me deeper, Lord God, that I would not make excuses, that I would not waver, that I would not falter, Lord God, that I would stumble, Lord God, or trip or make excuses or be bogged down with other things, lesser things, but you would make me into a prayer, Lord God, that my prayers would cry, Lord God, for our church, for our generation, for our city, Lord God, that you would do this, this, Lord God, for the glory of God, Lord Jesus, that we would long to see young people come to know you, Jesus, that we would long to see an awakening amongst our young people, Lord God, to love you and to live for you, Lord Jesus, not just publicly passionate, Lord God, but inwardly devoted to the glory of God and the work of God and the cause of God and the purposes of God in our lives to live for you, Jesus, revive us, oh God, in the name of Jesus, and we live for you, Lord, and we live for you, Lord, and we live for the purpose of God. Father in heaven, we thank you that greater things are coming, God, and that we believe in this for our lives, an overcoming of temptation, a breaking of the chains that enslave us, a fighting for freedom in our own lives, and then to fight for the freedom in the lives of other people, our friends, our family members, our our lab partners, our teachers, our professors, our parents, our children, our relatives, our cousins, our grandparents, that bigger things are going to take place through our church and the lives of the lost, the unsaved, in our community because of the witness of your church, of our church, to be a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, that the glory of God demonstrated through Christ and in our church would be to the glory of God forever and ever and ever. So lead us and guide us. Help us to be the church that you want us to be. We thank you so much. We love you. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus' name.